I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ahoy, hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Writer's Routine. This week we're chatting to Jonathan Whitelaw. He's worked as a journalist in Scotland, covering everything available, really, news, politics, sport, and recently he moved out to the remote wild of Canada. Jonathan has published a cosy crime novel called The Bingo Hall Detectives. We talk about his two-page synopsis, also what questions he's asking before he starts writing, and why, through circumstance, his writing time has to be early and extremely full on. It's an intense hour every single day that that's when I get to actually sit down and write. And it means that because because that time is now so precious to, to, to have to do something like this, um, it means that I know absolutely what I'm going to write in that one hour session. Um, so there's no dallying, there's no procrastination, there's no uh, sitting about, um, you know, with my Oscar Wilde uh, smoking jacket on pretending to... Uh, pretended to, 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 to be some author from another another bygone era. It's absolutely intensive in that as soon as that hour starts, I know exactly what I'm going to write. There is more with Jonathan Whitelaw in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes, welcome to the show. It's Writer's Routine, where we take a look through an author's working day to see how they get stuff done, how they take an idea from their head, get it down through the keyboard and hopefully published on shelves and massively successful. Um, My name is Dan Simpson. Thank you for being there. This week's show is brought to you by Martha Jocelyn. Martha is an author who writes all kinds of books for young readers. She's published 50 books from YA young adult to mid-grade. She's done picture books, even entire stories with one-syllable words. You might remember that we spoke a couple of months ago, a full-on episode, to hear all about her new novel, The Seaside Corpse. It's set in 1903 in Great Britain on the coast in a seaside town called Lyme Regis. It's part of the Aggie Morton Mystery Queen series. It's the fourth in that. It's all about a version of Agatha Christie, a 12-year-old called Aggie Morton and her best mate Hercule Poirot. It's a fantastic idea on how you can take uh, classic stories, be inspired by those, inspired by other people's work and, and Give them your own twist for a a different type of audience because the Aggie Morton books were inspired by Agatha Christie stories. And as Martha writes for young readers, she thought, well, is there a way I can tell mystery stories through a lens for my audience? 
So Aggie and Hector are searching for dinosaur bones in a part of the UK famous for them. It's called the Jurassic Coast. Only they discover a different kind of bone belonging to a very real human body. And we find out what they do with it. Martha is a storytelling machine, I would say, uh, writing so many fantastic and inspiring different books for so many different ages, all at young readers. If you're looking for ways to get your kids engaged in reading, if you want to try and step away from celebrity kids' books, which litter the shelves at this time of the year, uh, give Martha's work a try. She's created a style through working on over 50 books. She's perfected that way of working, that way of storytelling for all different ages. Uh, You can have a listen to our full chat. It's from October the 6th. If you want to hear more, if you missed it, you can hear loads more about her work. And you can find out more about her stories, all the different types of stories. They're all sponsoring the show this week. And grab a copy of the new Aggie Morton Mystery Queen book, The Seaside Corpse. It's perfect for any young reader for Christmas. It's got fantastic illustrations too. It's... uh, A real magical adventure that I guarantee uh, will get your family's imaginations amazingly inspired this Christmas. You can find out all about that on Martha's website. It's MarthaJocelyn.com. I'll spell it out for you. Martha is M-A-R-T-H-E, Jocelyn, J-O-C-E-L-Y-N.com. MarthaJocelyn.com. Have a look around, have a look at the brand new uh, Aggie Morton Mystery Queen book, The Seaside Corpse. Grab a copy for Christmas and thank you so much to Martha Jocelyn for supporting the show this week. Let's get on with today's guest then. Jonathan Whitelaw joins us, who is fantastic at talking about books and writing and talking about writing books. Uh, You might have guessed that from the length of this week's episode. His debut novel was Morbid Relations back in 2015. Then he published Hellcore, then The Mark in the Dark, and now The Bingo Hall Detectives is out. It's Cozy Crime, which has seen an explosion over the last few years. You have to say mainly uh, thanks to the the work and the marketing that Richard Osman has benefited from. Uh, It's all about Jason Brazel, an out-of-work journalist who solves a murder at a local bingo hall with his mother-in-law. We talk about cosy crime and why it suddenly exploded, what Jonathan feels about that, why he's chosen the genre. Also, you could hear why he's less picky with what he sits down to write now. It's all about sitting down and actually getting the words done at the start. Also, you can hear about how thought through the puzzle aspects of the crime were. Uh, Also, he's just moved to Canada. We talk about life there and whether that would have been possible before lockdown being on a different time zone to your editors, uh, keeping in touch with friends and colleagues that now live half a day away. Um, I I wonder how easy that would have been in a world before Zoom meetings. Also, you can hear why he's too lazy to be a real plotter, but gives himself a two-page synopsis and how willing he is for his characters to take him away from that. And we get into it, as we always do, with what Jonathan Whitelaw sees around him in the place where he sits down to write. Very, very rare at this time of the morning. I'm actually getting to a record this in my study. Um, so I've, at the moment, obviously, I'm sat at the desk with the computer. Um, I've got my headphones. I've got various bits of tech and kit and pens and, and notepads that are dog-eared beyond all belief. Um, and then I do have a very, very... Well, we've moved to this new house, and this is the very first time that I've had a bookshelf behind me. So um, any time that I do any sort of 
online stuff. And obviously during lockdown, bookshelf game became a became a whole thing. And uh, where, where I used to do this sort of stuff in, in our old house back in the UK, um, it was just like a well, it, it was likened it was likened to a, a padded cell without the padded walls. Uh, and I was perfectly perfectly happy to keep it to keep that sort of simile uh, because that's what it felt like at times. But we won't go into that. We won't go into that sort of that, that sort of detail. But yes, delighted to be in my uh, to, to be in my study with my uh, with my relatively humble bookshelf behind me. But it's uh, but it's there. I'd rather have it than not have it. You got the bookshelf behind you. This is uh, as it is a study. It's a place of work. Is there anything creative that reminds you you are there to create on the walls behind you or around you? Well. One one of the things that I've got, and I've had this for a for a number of years actually, is my very first newspaper review, um, which is in the which is hanging up, and it's sort of in in the old study. It used to sit above the computer, so I'd be able to see it. You know, and if if I was so desperate for inspiration, I would uh, I would just glance upwards. But where it is here, um, it's actually up to my left, and it sort of looms over me, almost like a headstone. Um, which which feels it, that, that sounds a lot uh, a lot more grim than it actually is, but it's a uh, it, 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 it it's a timely reminder as to why I sit down and, and, and do what I do, um, because it sort of takes me back to the days when I was uh, humble and uh, and uh, unpublished and desperate to make a make make my mark in the uh, in in the literary world. And whether I've done that or not, I suppose that's not really up to me to to to, to comment on. But it's but it's there. So yes, I I, I I give it a little glance every now and then. It's uh, it's it's a it's a it's a nice uh, nice way of keeping keeping my feet firmly rooted on the uh, on the floor. So you've got the newspaper review just to keep you grounded in a time before before everything that's happened now. Um, and you, you you so you've gone to Canada recently, right? What kind of what kind of gear change has that been from someone growing up in Scotland to now being thrust into the Canadian wilderness, or perhaps not? Well, it's uh, it's colder for starters. Um, well, I say it's colder. I, I say it's colder. It's it's physically colder, as in you know it was a, a high yesterday of minus fourteen, um, and I think a low of like minus twenty three or something like that. And it's only going to get colder apparently. Um, but the strange thing is because it's a uh, because we're out, uh, we're in Alberta, we're in northwestern Alberta, so it's it's the prairies. So it's essentially just a grass desert for you know hundreds, thousands, and thousands of miles. Um, so the air's very dry. So the um, you know when you get the snow and you get minus twenty one and twenty five and all the rest of it, it actually strangely doesn't feel cold the same way that it does in the UK. Um, because obviously the UK, it's a very, very damp climate and, you know, you, you know, yourself, you'll come out, it might be one, two, three degrees, but you know, it feels like, it feels like you're, you're, you're going to turn into an ice cube. Um, but oddly it doesn't, it doesn't feel that way here. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not exactly running up and down the, uh, the, the street in front of the house in my t-shirt and shorts or anything like that. It's, it's, you've still got to be sensible with it, but it's, um, yeah, I, I, it, it, I mean, otherwise it's, it's pretty much just the same, you know, people are people. It's, it's the, it's, we're living in a, we're living in a world that's getting smaller and smaller all the all the time. Obviously, I've still got still got a lot of uh, commitments and things like that back in the UK. So I've, I've been back actually. I've, I've I've had my first I've had my first trip back. Oddly enough, it was to bloody Scotland in September, um, and I managed to do I think was it it was nine cities in ten days. I managed to I managed to squeeze in, um, and the bulk the bulk of them were in the first were in the first. So I think I think by the time I got to by the time I got to Stirling for for Bloody Scotland, I think I'd had six cities in five days, uh, with like four different time zones, um, and 
uh, rather foolishly thought that okay, it'll be fine, it'll be all right. What's jet lag doesn't exist. It's just a, just a figment of everyone's imagination. I can confirm that it is not a figment of anybody's imagination, and I was, I was, I was really, really struggling with it. But you know, I was there for work and and got to meet loads and loads of lovely people that I know and and tell them all about my Canadian adventure and talk about books and. And it passed after the fifth day, and then by the time I was able to jet home, it was a, uh, it was, it was, it was a bit easier. It's easier, it's easier to adjust going backwards in time than it is, than it is going forwards in time. Uh, and I managed to get some work done on the plane as well, which is, which is always, always helpful. I always like to add that in because it's a sort of seven and a half a, uh, it's a sort of seven and a half hour flight um, from from Calgary to to Heathrow. Um, and you've, you can't just spend it watching DVDs or, or watching watching movies. Although I did, I watched Temple of Doom on the way home, which was fantastic. Because I can't remember the last time I actually managed to sit down and watch a full Indiana Jones movie from start to finish. It was it was terrific. I loved it. I More tell you, that, I am I am useless at watching films on planes simply because there's so much choice, and I, I feel like I feel like well, it needs to be the right one. I need I need to pick wisely. I don't really want to watch something that I've seen before, but then that's what you end up rooting back to. Listen, I've just got my maps open, and I'm looking. At uh, kind of Alberta, and it, like it, when most people move from the UK out to Canada, they might head to, uh, I guess, Ontario, somewhere around uh, like Quebec or Vancouver, out in British Columbia. You seem to have gone right out the back of beyond. I know you're saying that people are people, and you know more or less everything's the same. But why make the choice to go so remote? We're out here for my wife's work. She's a doctor, uh, and she was given this opportunity to head up a couple of new units at a, um, a brand new hospital in a place called Grand Prairie, which is where we are. So we're about a four and a half hour drive northwest, about an hour's flight from Edmonton, um, which is the the, the province capital. Um, and it's very flat. It's uh, the, the, we, we drove, we made the drive from Edmonton. We stayed in Edmonton for about three months when we when we first moved out here. And then we made the made the move up to up to Grand Prairie, and uh, the drive it was like something like uh, it was like having a, a geography textbook unfold in front of you in, in front of your very eyes. You know, you could see striations in the in the landscape where uh, glaciers had, had formed it. You know, thirty odd million years ago and stuff, and 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 the skies here are absolutely incredible. Um, and we get the Northern Lights as well, which is which is a which was a, 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 a an ambition of mine. Um, was to always see the northern lights, and now I can just pop into the into the back garden and see them at any any point of my my choosing, which is which is lovely. And it's amazing how something that becomes a becomes a a, a, a you know a lifelong dream suddenly just becomes oh there's the there's the, there's the aurora borealis again. All oh, right, okay, yeah, come on. You know, it's uh, but that's 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 human nature, I guess, or maybe it's just maybe it's just us. Maybe we're just greedy with it. <laughs> I think there might be a touch of that. Listen, let me just take you back to your uh, your study. So we've got the books, we've got the newspaper clippings. Is there anything practical around you? Um, plot lines, whiteboards, post-it notes that draw you back to what you're doing that day? Well, so this is the this is the the the, the million dollar question, and this is the um, when I'm doing teaching, when I'm doing sort of creative writing teaching, is it's the old planner versus pantser. Now, I am one of the most disorganized people that you're ever likely to meet, ever. And, I, and, I, and I, there's, there's no there's no semblance of hyperbole with that, I promise you. Um, I, I don't trust myself to have a whiteboard or to keep it updated in terms of what I'm doing to actually sit down and, 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 and write, a, write a book. Um, 
which which is fine, which is okay. I mean, you know, in, in, in principle, I guess it works, and 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 you know, we, we all end up in the same place at the well, you know, whether you're a, a planner or a pantser, um, you'll we always end up in the same the same point at the end, I guess. But um, but I'm 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 terrible for it. But I do know I do know authors, uh, very very good friends who are authors who remain uh, nameless to protect the guilty. Uh, who have um, spreadsheet after spreadsheet after spreadsheet, all and whiteboards and post-it notes of every color, uh, and brand new notepads for, uh, for 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 every brand new project or indeed every brand new chapter that they start. It seems, um, but I'm just uh, I, I'm just I'm just too lazy, quite frankly. I, I you know if I if I sit down if I sit down to, to to do something like this, then I want to be sitting down and, and getting a chapter done or getting a paragraph done or getting a set piece done or something like that, as opposed to sitting down and and doing it. I'm not. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong. It's not. Um, it, it's not a. It, 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 it's not complete chaos. Um, thankfully, uh, because I think my editor would kill me if that was the if that was the case, and rightly so. Um, but it's uh, what I usually work from is, and I'll I'll maybe have it printed out at the start, particularly when I start a new project. But it'll ha- maybe a sort of two page synopsis of what the book is, so from sort of start to finish. Um, sort of key points, any twists, any any changes in it, character names, that type of thing. Um, and I usually use that as a bit of a guide. Uh, but again, it becomes because I'm such an untidy person. It becomes so dog-eared and 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 covered in you know coffee mug stains and all the rest of it, and crumpled up and lost and everything else. I I end up usually getting about a quarter of the way through a project and it's 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 vanished. And but thankfully, hopefully, by that point, I'm a I'm a I'm I'm on top of everything that I need to be. I need to be on top of. If I'm not, then I'm in trouble. But that's that's where the fun begins. <laughs> um, we we get quite niche and a little bit nerdy on the show. Uh, what do you write on? And also, people are very interested in fonts, Jonathan, so take it away. All right. Oh, blame. I feel it's a bit of pressure now, actually. I'm going to have to double-check this. So I, I, I was, for a very, very long time, very, very long time, a, a Microsoft Word user um, and, you know, grew up with it. I'm, I'm, I grew up in the 1990s and early 2000s, and when I managed to – when we finally got a computer in the, in the, in the house – you know, I was desperate to do uh, to do all my essays and things like that for school. And um, but then uh, I moved. I made I made the jump from from Windows to Apple about fifteen years ago. And I did, funnily enough, actually, when I got my first MacBook, um, I, I bought the, the 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 Office package for it. So yeah, I had about ten years worth of of uh, the Microsoft Office package sitting on my uh, on my MacBook. Uh, other than Word, it all collecting dust so by this point obviously technology had moved on to the to the the stage that we're at just now where you've got um you know digital digital versions of these things and obviously google drives and things so uh, i'm a i'm a google docs person and i've never looked back since uh, since we moved on to it just purely because it means that i can sit on i can log on to any computer anywhere in the world and, and access my uh, my working project um, plus, it backs it up, and all, all you know, all these fancy things that actually I'm much more ignorant to than than, than I make out. Um, so, I, that, yeah, that's what I use. And in terms of font, I've just double checked at the at the moment. It's Arial, um, Arial eleven, eleven point uh, Arial is what I'm uh, what I'm using at the moment. Which is, I think that's probably just the probably just the generic uh, Google Docs. Uh, font. It's uh, what. What is interesting, though, and I've been told this lots and lots of times. Actually, my Zoom, the Zoom that I have it on, is seventy five percent. So it means that I tend to get maybe about a page and a half's worth before I have to scroll down. 
Um, and I get commented on that when I used to be in work as well, that I used to, I used to have all my uh, browser windows and things like that zoomed really, really far out. I'm not quite sure why, because I'm not, it's, you know, it's nothing to do with, uh, it's nothing to do with like, my eyesight or anything, or at least I don't think it is anyway, but it's, uh, but yeah, I've always, that's, that's the way that I've always operated, 75% of the, of the, of the zoom. That means I get to see get to see what I've get to see what rubbish I've spouted in the last 10 minutes I have to go back and fix it well and 11 is quite a small font size I must say I don't want to read too much into this but that's interesting <laughs> uh, is it I, I, I think it's I think it's just the I, I mean don't get me wrong you know as much as we're talking about doing the doing you know one page synopsis two page synopsis of stuff I do cheat obviously you know if I've gone far too much over the over the case and I can't chop down synopsis if I'm sending it to my agent or the editor then I'll just I'll maybe have a little fiddle with the uh, with the font size to get it to one page so it's been down as low as seven I think at one point I think that in, in, in my in my very worst my very very worst and excessive days it's a uh, it's been down to six you know and you literally do have to get your magnifying glass out to try and read what the hell I've written it's uh, good fun <laughs> <laughs> um uh, you you were saying that I always find it interesting when people talk about google docs and you said that it means you can write from anywhere, any computer in the world. But how often are you doing that? I, I don't know if in twenty in twenty two yeah in twenty twenty two you're not jumping into a cyber cafe and writing there. No, 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 no. That that would have been that would have been nice. What 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 it was handy would be if uh, if 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 I was at work, for example, um, and I didn't have like my laptop with me or or obviously the home computer, and uh, I'd be able to log in. And for example, if something needed to be sent to an editor, if I was in the middle of doing a journalism shift. Um, you know, I'd be able to quickly jump on, log on to, to 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 my Google Drive and download the document and send it across there. And then, you know, it meant that I could do that during the day or during the night, uh, and it wouldn't, you know, there would be no delay with me sending stuff over to, to to editors and agents and things like that. So I guess that was handy in terms of me actually sitting down and logging on and and doing any sort of work from a random computer in a library or a cyber cafe or indeed anywhere. I don't think it's ever happened. And it probably, it's probably not likely to ever happen. What's good is, though, I suppose I can access it from my phone as well. You know, that's, uh, again, the sort of advent of the, the digital age that we live in now is that, you know, again, if I'm on the go, if I'm on the bus or the train or something, um, and without actually having to go back to the, the to the physical computer to get that particular file, I just log on to Google Drive on my phone, download the document, and then you can send it and it, or just share it. Even you don't even need to do that anymore. It's 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 quite remarkable, and it's it, it's it's you know, it's something that I'm really really appreciative of because. I mean, I, I'm I'm of that generation. I'm 36, so I'm of that generation that, that's old enough to to remember what it was like not having this sort of stuff. Whereas, like my brother, obviously he's eight years younger than me. You know, he doesn't remember being at school without having a mobile phone. He doesn't, you know, he, do, he doesn't remember not being able to text mates who were in different classes or indeed text mates that were in the same class. Whereas I do. I mean, I I, I very much remember that um, that that world. And and again, you know, always having to back your back your work up on discs and floppy disks and stuff. And it's it's remarkable. It's um it feels like ancient history now, and it's within the last twenty odd years. Frightening, but good as well. Really, really exciting. Well, yeah, I'm kind of, well, I guess I'm halfway between you two. So it was, I, I was at a great moment where I appreciate the benefit, but I also grew up enough of it that I'm quite literate. So I'm not, I'm not like the newer Gen Z or whatever, where that you, your whole life is being digital native. I can, I kind of have a, a fake memory. Listen, just, um, obviously the internet is, in, is improved in many ways uh, one's ability to work um and i wonder you living in canada i imagine you're still with a 
an agent or an editor or whatever over here in the UK, how doable would that have been before, very simply before lockdown, when remote work really came to the fore? Well, that I mean, that's it. That's that, that's that's the question, isn't it? Is it you know, even in the last two three years, we've all become so used to having these sorts of conversations, it's just become second nature. Of course, I mean, you had this sort of technology before lockdown, but it, exactly as you say, Dan, it's, it's sort of come to the fore in its own in, in the last couple of years through necessity. Um, it's, it's it's a weird thing. It's it, I, I I mean, I'm a, I'm a, a, a I love you know alternate realities. I love all that kind of fiction, you know, science fiction and comics and stuff like that, multiverse theory and all this. And I always like to, to sort of play that game every now and then as to what if, you know, what if we'd moved over to Canada 20 years ago? Um, you know, would I be able to phone, you know, would, 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 would my son's grandparents get to see him on a daily basis? Absolutely not because the tech wasn't there. But it is now, and, and and exactly as you say, Dan. You know a lot. I, I mean, my my parents bless them. They're not the most technologically gifted, and I actually don't know if they would uh, if they would have adopted uh, or adapted to, to the whole Zoom and FaceTime and things like that um, as well as they have done had we not had the pandemic. Um, so in 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 that respect, uh, it's it's been great because obviously they get to see uh, Henry. On a daily basis, and and see him grown up, despite the, the you know the, the the barrier of having five thousand miles between the places, and it's exactly the same. Um, it's exactly the same for work as well. It's like, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm in regular contact. I I, I would say I'm probably, in a, I think both my agent and, and my publisher would agree with this. I'm probably more in contact with them now that I'm five thousand miles away than I was when I was whatever it was, 200 miles away, 500 miles away in, in between Glasgow and London and Glasgow and Manchester. Um, simply because we've got the, you know, we've got the tech and we've got the, the access to do it. And I said earlier on, you know, that the, the world's getting a, becoming a small place. And I think that sometimes has really, really sort of negative connotations. And in many respects, I guess it does. But I think from a professional point of view, from, from a working point of view, not just, I mean, again, not just a, not just from 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 the actual nuts and bolts of doing writing and sending stuff across and having interviews and 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 meetings and stuff like that, but things like you know we've mentioned the bloody Scotland Book Club. You know you're on it. I, I, I've been on it. There's an example of something that's grown out of the uh, grown out of the the, the pandemic uh, and it's still going very strongly and uh, it's fantastic. It's a fantastic get together every month. It's certainly one of the highlights of my my month is watching the bloody Scotland Book Club. Um, but you know, from 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 an author point of view, from the stage that I'm at from my career, um, you know, if we didn't have these sorts of opportunities, if we didn't have online based events, would I be doing as much as I'm doing? Probably not, actually, just because of the nature of the industry, the nature of uh, of everybody's time. You know, having to set up bookshops and and the expectation that that comes with that to cover overheads and things like that. Whereas festivals and organisations um, are doing more online. Uh, online events and online community-based events and it means that writers like myself who are at the stage of their career that I'm at uh, are being invited to do these sorts of things that just wouldn't have happened you know even 5, 10, 15 years ago which is which is great so it's 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 you know it's I like to think it's good for the author but it's also good for the, the the audience as well because you're getting to see and you're getting to hear a lot more varied voices and different voices and and, and hopefully get introduced to, to writers that perhaps like I said 10, 15 years ago um, might have gone under the radar. But I imagine with the time difference, you being west of us, it means you wake up every morning with a lot of emails about your book. <laughs> I do. I do. And, and you know, when, when, when we first moved over, we, we moved over in May. Um, 
I, I found myself sort of waking up around about two, three o'clock local time uh, and checking my emails. And that was, that was a killer because it meant I was completely, I, I, I was totally, totally awake um, from three o'clock in the morning onwards. And, and as I mentioned, the 22 month old kid who, who doesn't understand the concept of time that makes for a very very long day so i've stopped doing that i've i, I unless i'm absolutely hard pushed or, I, or i'm waiting for something uh, pretty important then i'll uh, then, then i try my very very down i'm still getting up don't get me wrong i still wake up at two three o'clock in the morning and and, and the temptation's always there but it's a uh, but yeah it's 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 a uh, it's it's nice in a way because I, I quite I, I I've always been I, I've always liked the idea that you know the world is still going on even when I go to bed. So again, talking about technology, like I I've all I've got all the the sort of major time zones on the world clock on my on my phone, and I find something really really uh, comforting about that when I when I go to bed because I've 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 had family and friends and things like that that have lived in in the Far East. Uh, my brother lives in Dubai, um, so he's ten hours ahead of me. Obviously, the UK, you guys are seven hours ahead of me. And then when I get up, it's 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 you know it's it's kind of moving towards the evening and stuff. And I find that I find I've always found them something really really comforting to know that somewhere in the world it's nine o'clock in the morning, whereas it might be five p.m. where I am. It's um, I'm a bit of a weirdo that way. I, I don't think I've ever said that. I think I think I've ever got a record and said that. I don't think I've ever said it out loud actually. But there you go. Hey ho, that's what we're here for. My writing process has changed over the years. My first book came out in 2015, and and when I when I was writing that, when I was writing what turned out to be my debut, I was working uh, in Glasgow but staying in Edinburgh, so I used to have two hours a day uh, on the train uninterrupted, um, which was pretty intense. And then uh, as I sort of continued to write, and and and, and my other books came out. Um, the whole process become a, became a little bit more relaxed. It's now gone back to that sort of intensive short bursts, um, simply because exactly as you say, Dan. You know, I've, I've there's a, there's a toddler in the house, and and you know, um, bless him, he takes up he takes up everybody's time. Um, what what's been really good though, I mean, what's been really really fantastic about it is that I I tend to have an hour uh, every day. Um, usually between six and seven, although that can vary, but it's it's an intense hour every single day that that's when I get to actually sit down and write. And it means that because because that time is now so precious to to, to have to do something like this, um, it means that I know absolutely what I'm going to write in that one hour session. Um, so there's no dallying, there's no procrastination, there's no uh, sitting about um you know with my oscar wilde uh, smoking jacket on pretending to a uh, pretended to, to 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 be some author from another another bygone era it's absolutely intensive in that as soon as that hour starts i know exactly what i'm going to write whether that's a the full chapter whether i'm concluding a chapter whether it's a you know it's a twist or it's a, a plot turn or it's a you know a, a a set piece to develop character that type of thing i know exactly what i'm going to do um before i sit down and, and write it and then it's just a case of executing it it's just a case of, of, of getting getting it out and getting out of my head and onto the page uh, within that hour um i didn't think i didn't think i'd enjoy it as much as i do um i i, I my worry was when this came about that it would just be born out of necessity and, and i would have to sort of keep slugging away at it because i'm a great i'm a great believer again i, I do this when i when i teach my workshops um 
you know, I'm a great believer of, you know, there's no set way of doing it. Obviously, this podcast is a is a great example of 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 how different and of how different the process can be for different writers. There's no set way of actually sitting down and writing. It's 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 very much dependent on you as the author. You know, whether that means that you write ten words a day, you write fifty thousand words a day, it doesn't it doesn't really matter. It's got to be it's got to be what works for you. Um, and I wasn't I I wasn't hugely inclined to go back to that intensive, you know, short burst day, that short, relatively short amount of time to sit down and, and write. But actually, I found it really, really liberating because it means that, um, like I said, I know exactly what I'm going to do when I, when I, before I sit down um, and, and can just bash it out. And then when I get to the end of the hour, usually, usually the way that it works out, the way that the, the sort of process has been going for the last couple of months, um, maybe a year or so that I've been doing this, um, it means that by the time I get to the hour, it kind of feels that I've written the full chapter and it's a nice place to conclude. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's, it's clearly, it's clearly working for me and I'm, and I'm enjoying it a lot more than I, than I was expecting. So it's, it's, um, and I'm grateful to be able to do it and it's, it's nice, it's nice to be able to, to have, to have it all set out before you actually sit down and, 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 and let it flow. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's good fun. A few questions then. Six through seven, I mean, no matter if you've got a toddler, that's early just to switch your brain on. How are you now with, even though you know what you want to write, how are you at sitting there and, and being energized to do this? How do you make sure that you're, even at such an early time, you're getting down, hopefully, good, good, good stuff that's not reflective of the fact you might be exhausted? Gallons of coffee is the would would be the would be the 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 easy answer. Um, I think I, th- I mean, again, I've always sort of seen writing as as uh, as being like an athletic pastime. You know, you, no, the, nobody's born able to run a marathon, um, but through training and exercise and and practice, you know, people can do the most amazing things. I, athletically and and I, I see writing as being exactly the same as that I, I mean I'm a journalist so I've been lucky enough to have a whole career where I used to be able to write all day okay it's not fiction and I, and I maintain it wasn't fiction um, but it's a it, 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 you know I was able to sit and spend an eight hour nine hour shift eight days a week uh, sitting actually doing the, the physical act of writing um, and uh, that that was that was always a wonderful warm up for me to, to 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 then go home at night and and actually sit down and do some creative writing, um, and I'm doing less of that now and, and doing more uh, creative writing. And I think it's just a, a, I think it's just knowing that it's a job, you know, treating it professionally, knowing that that this has got to be done. You're on deadline, you know. Editors are sitting expecting your work to be to be to be in. Um, I'm my wife is so so supportive. Uh, my whole family's uh, completely supportive uh, of of my writing career. Always have been. I'm very very lucky to be in that sort of position. So she looks after she looks after the the sprog um, while I'm sitting up here in the study or whatever. Um, I coming up with horrible murders to happen to lovely people. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's that. I think it's it's just maintaining that sort of professionalism. I, again, I always say this. But people always ask me, "What's your what's your best advice?" if you want, want to be a writer and I say treat it professionally treat it like a job because that's what it is you're, you're working with people in the industry who 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 it is their job to 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 you know to edit and to come up with covers and marketing and all the rest of it it's the very very least that you can do as the author is to is to treat it professionally so I think that's it I think that's what gets me through I think that 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 sort of stuff's always gotten me through you know even even as a journalist and stuff like that is just always trying to maintain that that a uh, that level of professionalism towards it and and 
I tend to respond really better, I think, to that than to having that sort of, you know, um, knowing that that's always there, knowing that that sort of perennial, that perennial professionalism is expected of you. Uh, I think that always that that sort of drags me out of the mire at six o'clock in the morning or 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 whenever, whatever time it is in the on the uh, on the clock. But yeah, I, I think some authors who are starting out don't anticipate how uh, like both mentally and physically exhausting quite a, a condensed burst of creativity can be uh, when you've shut the laptop for the day, having got your chapter or so down. Um, how, how are you for the for the rest of the day? Are, are you able to concentrate on other things? Do you, does your mind keep drawing you back to the story? Just, just run run us through that part of things. Certainly, um, it's a good point. It's a great point you make, Dan. Actually, it's it's yeah. It, like how do how do you turn it off? Um, I I find that it depends on what stage I'm at of a project. So if I'm if I'm in the first sort of fifty thousand words, forty thousand words, the first half say. Um, I tend to find that I can switch off quite easily. Um, I mean, it never it never really leaves you, obviously, because uh, as a writer and because you're the one who's coming up with all these things, invariably, you know, you'll see something on the news or you'll hear a, a, a turn of phrase when you're out of the shops. So you think, oh, actually, do you know what? That's quite good. I could pinch that, or that that would work really, really well for for you know whatever scene that it is that you're either working on or you've just finished. So in that respect, I suppose you never do turn it off. But in terms of sort of stepping away from the creative process, I tend to find that a lot easier in the first half of the of a book than it is in the second. And usually, and certainly for the last sort of 10, 15,000 words, and, I, and I've, I've, I've heard this before, actually, and I, I, was, I was amazed to hear that other authors go through it as well. Um, it's a sort of snowball effect. It's a sort of avalanche effect in the last sort of 10, 15,000 words because you get to that stage where usually, you know, not always, it's not always the case, but the last sort of 10, 15,000 words tends to be, for a, for a crime novel certainly, um, the the point where everything's getting wrapped up you know you you've you've had all your twists you've developed all your characters you've you know made the setting as, as great as it can be you know the last sort of 10 15000 words is 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 that last uh, gallop towards the the finish line where you kind of just want to get it done and you know you know you can see the end in sight so i tend to find that it's a lot harder to switch off and actually a lot harder to tear myself away from the laptop when I when I know that I've only got 10, 15, 20,000 words left to do, um, mostly because it, it's, it, it is so tantalizingly close that you just want to get it done. And usually what I find is that it's not, it's not something that I do. I've, all, I've always meant to do it, actually. I have always meant to, to, to sit and keep track of my daily word count in terms of how much I'm doing. But I, I mean, I've seen me, I, I, I'd say a good day for me in the sort of first half, first three quarters of a project of a, of a book, good day for me would be anywhere sort of between two and 3,000 words. Um, and that's always been the case. That number has always sort of remained roughly the same. But I reckon if in, in the last sort of week, say, of, of, of me wrapping up a project, I could be writing double that, you know, each time, each session, um, just, just, just to get there. And it, it kind of, you know, I'm, I'm acutely aware that that makes it sound like you know I'm desperate to get it finished. I'm desperate to, to to be rid of this this bloody thing, and it's not the case. I think it's just the I think for me anyway. I think it's just um, it's just knowing that the end is in sight. It's knowing that it's there, and it's and and getting to that point where you can go right. Okay, that's it finished. That's the first draft finished. That's the second draft finished. Whatever, um, you know, that's it done. It's that sense of achievement. I think because it's 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 it, it can be a, it can be a long process. It's it's it can be a. It can be a long, long process to sit, unlike other sort of creative projects and, and, and other kind of creative arts. If you sit down and write 
you know, like long form fiction, 80, 90, 100,000 words, say, you know, it's it's a it's a lot of investment of time. Even even for fast writers, you know, I know writers that can that can hammer out a first draft in six seven weeks. But that's still you know, six seven weeks isn't a isn't a, a blink of an eye. It's it's still a it's still a long project. It's still a long time to be sitting working on one project. Whereas something, you know, other other projects, whether it's music or poetry or or what have you, I think you can get you know the the person doing it can get that payoff a bit quicker than than, they, than than someone who's sitting writing a novelist. So the, I think there's always an element of that with me is that, yeah, I find it a lot harder to switch off in the last sort of quarter, last half than than, than the first one. Um, but you never, you never do. You, you, you never, ever, you never really fully step away from it. I think, I think that's, I think that's just part of the gig. So 2000 words, <clears throat> um, more or less in an hour or so that, I mean, that is, that is fast work. Uh, and I guess years of training as a, as a journalist has massively helped out with that. When you, when you are writing, um, are, are those words ever a, a struggle? Are you are you just getting out anything because you want words on the page that you can then cut down? Are you thinking that these need to be the perfect words? What goes on there? I, I used to be I used to be a lot more um, picky about what it was that I was sitting down to do, and I think that's something that I've learned a. I've matured, I think, as a writer to to not to not hold myself to that massively, almost unachievable, certainly unsustainable um, standard. Uh, I think any author who does that, it, it, they've got my they've got my undivided uh, adulation because it's 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 hard. It's really really hard. It's it's hard to be able to sit down and and um and and, and work in an environment. To, to go that absolutely every word here and every sentence is going to be perfect when it first comes out. It, that that's the way that it has to be. Um, I, I can't do it, so I, I'm a great believer of you know you can't edit a blank page. Uh, and again, I tell my students that um, that you know if you've got something down, you can have the greatest you can have the greatest novel ever written in your head if it never actually sat if you never actually sit down to the laptop or the computer or the pad and paper. Uh, pen and paper, sorry, um, and get it written down. Then nobody's going to be able to read it. So you know, it doesn't. It, it, it for me, it doesn't have to be perfect when it first comes out. So if I'm doing two thousand words, you know, the editing process is is a godsend because it, it means that you can always go back and 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 make sense of what is sometimes garbled rubbish. Um, more often than not, it's garbled rubbish in my case, but that's a, that's a, a bless my editor. She's a, she's, she's very, very good and very, very patient with that sort of thing. Um, but it's, it, I, I did used to do it. I think naively, I used to think that every time that I sat down, it would have to be Hemingway-esque prose. Um, but realistically speaking, you can't, you can't keep doing it. I certainly couldn't keep that, keep that sort of intensity there because it meant that invariably that word count was coming down and down and down and down and down. And it got to the stage where I think, um, I, I was just not. You end up barely writing at all because you think, right? Well, I'm not. I'm clearly not in the mood for it today. I'm clearly not in the headspace to be, to be sitting coming up with a, with this fantastic work, and it's just not happening. And, and and I mean that happens in every job. That you know, there's there's there's, there's there happened to be as a journalist. There were days when I would go into the office and it was just, you know, I just couldn't get anything right. I I, I wasn't getting any leads. You know, things just weren't working for me. And it happens in every every walk of life. Is that invariably people have days off, have bad days. And it's the same for writers. Um, and, I, and I think I've learned to be a little bit more relaxed when I do get days like that, uh, and not to not to um, beat myself up about it too much because it's it, it happens. And and I would rather be in a position where I'd written 10, 15, 20 words 
that are okay that can be edited rather than 2,000 words that have been completely forced uh, and actually don't make any sense and give myself work further down the line because I've got to get 2,000 words down every every day. Um, it's just about being, I think, just about being realistic, really, and, and, and knowing that it's not always going to be, it's not always going to be roses, unfortunately, like anything, like anything else in life. It's just, it's just a reflection of it, I guess. And it's interesting that you said you were quite disorganised. You've got your two-page synopsis. How do you know what you're sitting down to write the next day? At what point do you plan that out? Well, I think um, I think with the my sort of two page synopsis will have all the big points on it, you know, uh, like sort of big plot twists and and the reveal who the killer is and and that type of thing. Um, but the bits in between those sections, those paragraphs, I tend to leave completely open to when I actually sit down and and, and do the writing. Um, so, you know, I it could be a case of if it's the first five chapters that I'm starting on a new project then I know by the end of the fifth chapter, I want to have the murder have happened or the body to, to have been revealed. So having that sort of rough guide, when I sit down to do my to do my sort of hour's worth of, of, of intense writing, um, it is, is helpful. But usually what, usually what I find is that, you know, getting to that stage, that sort of journey between those, those major points to, to those major points that actually drive the story forward, drive the novel forward and make sense, um, I tend to leave almost off the cuff. So it, it can be things like, you know, I might have heard a conversation when I was out at the, at the supermarket and I want to get that particular line in and then I'll build the, you know, I'll build that particular scene around there. So it, from, from the actual process point of view, if I sit down to write, I'll go, right, okay, that's the, I've got this one line of dialogue that I want to build this, this particular conversation around. Um, that's what I do. I just sit and, and and that's what I'll do for that particular day, that particular hour. Is that that'll be the that'll be the the, the project, and then whatever that takes me, uh, that'll leave me for the for the next day. I, I I used to I used to be really really I used to be really really yeah, specific about finishing. Like I would have to finish a chapter at the end of every writing session. Um, and then I remember I got advice. I, I was listening to I can't remember what it was actually, but it was it, I think plenty of people. It might even be Stephen King actually that that, that says it. Um, but they, the you know they finish a they finish a writing session halfway through a a, a a a chapter because it means that when they sit back down to write whether that's in the next hour or the next day or the next week or so they've almost got that sort of running start you know they they don't have to start from scratch of a brand new chapter they've got that they've got that sort of background of where they left it off beforehand and it just gets them back into the gets them back into the flow of things a bit a bit like the a bit like what we were chatting about earlier on about the whole kind of you know it's, it's almost like an athletic endeavor in that you wouldn't start running a marathon without warming up first so i i, I like to when that happens it's nice it doesn't always happen that way obviously because sometimes i get to the end of the hour and i finish the chapter um but i i, I don't mind so much anymore uh, you know finishing the hour and it's midway through a chapter uh, and it means that when I start up again, I, I've got that sort of that, that head start, and I just I just carry on, just force myself to carry on. I guess that's the that's the that's the part of it. That's the gig again. Yeah, that's just the job. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We'll be back with more from Jonathan Whitelaw in just a sec. This week's episode of the podcast is supported by Martha Jocelyn, her brand new book. It's the fourth one in the Aggie Morton Mystery Queen series. It's called The Seaside Corpse. If you would like to support a future episode of the show and get a big old plug for your story, you can make that happen by becoming a backer at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Just for a few dollars a month, and I know times are tight, but for a few dollars a month, you can uh, really help us carry on, help us carry on bringing you chats with the best authors around as often as we can. You get our unending thanks, you get merch, there is bonus content, there is even a way for your book to sponsor this show, as Martha has done today. Make it your book that I'm talking about next week by becoming a backer and helping us out supporting in any way you can at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Let's get back into it then with Jonathan Whitelaw on the show chatting about his new novel, The Bingo Hall Detectives. In this part, we talk about cosy crime, how popular it is, why he's always wanted to write in the genre. Uh, also, how willing he is to let his characters take him elsewhere, away from his quite thoroughly worked upon two-page synopsis. And we dive back into it, talking about the new book, The Bingo Hall Detectives, and that very first idea that came to him. The nature of the novel, it's about, a, it's about an out-of-work journalist working with his mother-in-law to solve a murder in the Lake District. And one of the things that I've been asked endlessly Uh, since since the book came out is is it based on is the mother-in-law character Amita is she based on your mother-in-law Jonathan and I say categorically she is not the book's dedicated to to Margaret my mother-in-law but um, Amita is a is is the is the mother-in-law of all mother-in-laws and thankfully my mother-in-law isn't um, and not the subject to old Les Dawson jokes or anything like that thankfully I also have been saying that um, I think if I was to team up with my mother-in-law to solve a murder there would be two other murders namely ours um in that it would be it, it just it just wouldn't work bless um but i think uh, w- one thing i've always loved as a writer is character um you know my books tend to be very very character driven and i love a uh, i love a dynamic between two characters particularly the lead characters um where they don't get on And the relationship of a, of a sort of mother-in-law and son-in-law, just in general society, is is quite unique. Namely, you know, here's two people that probably more often than not wouldn't have wouldn't get on, wouldn't you know, hang around each other uh, if they weren't if they weren't forced to through circumstance. You know, this the singular person between the between the two of them. Um, 
and it's certainly the case for Jason and Amita and the Bingo Hall detectives. You know, they they they, they are family uh, through forced circumstance and forced circumstance only, um, and they wind each other up, and uh, they 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 have very very different approaches to life and different attitudes towards things. Not just because they're different generations, but just because they're very very different people. And I think having that sort of unique relationship between the two characters, and then throwing in a sort of you know a, a juicy who done it. I think that's probably when 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 the idea first came to me, but I, it it was it was always based on the characters first and foremost before I had the before I had the sort of the murder and the crime and all the rest. But that was sort of built around the the relationship between Jason and Avatar because I, I I love I love writing dialogue. I love doing dialogue. And I particularly love doing dialogue between characters who aren't getting on for whatever reason. Um, and knowing that ultimately these two characters they have to get on. They're forced to get on through a general societal rule. Uh, and family, and you can't pick your family. Unfortunately, I, I I always loved that concept. I always loved that idea that they would have to team up to 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 catch a killer, um, and it all just grew from there. Really, it was a uh, that 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 was it. The the relationship between the two characters very much at the at the core of it, and and and, and remains so. Thankfully, which is a uh, which is always good fun to write. Uh, so you've got that initial idea is these two characters and uh, then you need to you need to make your synopsis what happens next how do you go from two very distinct characters the idea that it would be interesting for them to have to be forced to interact quite frequently together and then you're writing the synopsis what's the next question you're asking yourself well in with with anything i guess it's with the uh, crime fiction anything crime fiction i guess it's um it's you know who's the who's the the killer uh, why have they murdered the victim, um, and how's that going to get solved? That's that's tends to be that the the what what I mean. One of the things being a journalist is that um, I, I think crime fiction works really really well if you've got a journalism background because journalism essentially is the who, what, where, why, when, and if possible how. That's that's the that's the sort of the the you know the core of every story in every newspaper and every media outlet out there. Um, and I think being able to sort of analyze that and have that sort of mentality towards everything that, you know, that I did professionally and apply that to the, to the, to the, uh, to this fictional murder. Um, it certainly sort of, a uh, it made, made it a lot easier for me to, 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 to plot out and, and, and think what, what we're going to do. And I think in, with the bingo hall detectives, again, you know, it, it's, it's a, it, it's a, it's a novel about character. It's a, it's a novel about, uh, quirky characters, different characters, people that are maybe slightly on the edge of society, namely their pensioners. You know, obviously Amit is a pensioner. You've got Jason who's unemployed. Um, you know, he's a journalist working in a, in a time in journalism where more newspapers and media outlets are being closed down and gobbled up by by big, big corporations than, than ever before. Um, and he's very much a local journalist and someone who, who, who champions local journalism. Um, which is unfortunately all over the world, it, it would seem, is is becoming less and less and less frequent, which is a great shame. Um, so you know you've got these you've got these characters who, within their own little world, don't get on, but within a wider world, they are they're maybe sort of pushed a little bit more to the to the margins. Um, and yeah, and, and that was it. And and then yeah, just thinking about you know the, the sort of circumstances that two characters come in. I mean, it's a it's a cozy crime novel, so you know it, it, you're always. I don't want to say limited because it's it's not it's not really it's not really about being limited with 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 the means to in which to commit a murder because you can get away with you can get away with pretty much anything in, in crime fiction. It's just the way that it's told. Um, 
but I think with 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 cozy with cozy crime in particular, I had that room to to explore the characters a little bit more, uh, maybe more so than say you know going into forensic detail of 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 police work. And the thing is as well, when you've got two characters like one of them who's a who's obviously a, a retiree and the other one's an out of work journalist. Um, it's always good fun trying to come up with reasons as to why they would be investigating a murder and why they would be at a crime scene or why they're able to get their hands on on uh, on key evidence that's going to lead to lead to catching of the killer. Um, it's a it's a challenge. It's a challenge and a half. Uh, and and uh, I am, if nothing else, a sucker for punishment. But that's uh, there. You go. That's I think all writers are like that. I think we always like to challenge ourselves when it comes to when it comes to coming up with the, the horrible things to put our characters through. Talking about um, planning what the character is going to do, so knowing the uh, the the who, what, and why. Uh, I've spoken to authors before who are quite surprised at how much their characters sidetrack them. I remember chatting to one crime writer who was convinced the killer was one person. The door opened in the final scene, and it turned out to be a completely different person. How much? Uh, how much are you aware that your characters are perhaps always trying to sidetrack you? Um, I, I, the, the more, the, the more, the better actually for me. I think, I think I, I, I never want to almost categorize and box my characters in. I want to be able to sit down and, um, be going through a set piece or going through a reveal like this and think, actually, do you know what? Realistically, the, the character that I built up here, would they, would they realistically say this or do that? Or would they actually maybe do something else, which might become, you know, completely be a completely completely different tangent to what I'd originally planned or 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 even just the sort of vaguest outline that I had of the characters. I think I'm doing a good job as a writer if that's the case because it means that the it means first and foremost it's got me still thinking. Um and if if I'm still thinking and and it's it's keeping me on edge as the writer, then I know hopefully that the that the reader is going to be kept on edge and see something a little bit different as well, which is what which is what you want. You know, you don't you don't want you don't want a, a reader to be getting three quarters of the way through the book knowing who the killer is and uh, and 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 you know being vastly disappointed by that because they saw it coming a mile off. Or indeed, um they might see that the 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 who the killer is coming a mile off, but the way that it's revealed or the motivation behind that, you know, trying to keep that as fresh and as on edge and 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 a different as possible as the writer is 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 a big big key for me. And I think if I keep the if I keep myself on edge in that respect and and let those tangents breathe, um, then then it will sort of go at least some way towards keeping the reader's interest throughout the throughout the whole novel. Interestingly, actually, um, with the Bingo Hall detectives, uh, the, the the killer was always the same, but the relationship between the killer and the victim was completely different in my first day, uh, in my first synopsis when I when I sat down and wrote the first synopsis. And it wasn't it actually wasn't until I got to the uh, I got to I think maybe the, the chapter before two chapters before the the, the big reveal. Um, that I thought, actually, do you know what? This might work if this character was X to, to the victim instead of Y. Uh, and I debated that. I thought, should I should I carry on the way that I was that I originally planned, or will I go down this route? Because it actually didn't take all that much rewriting further back. Um, and I thought, do you know what? Let's take a risk. Uh, fortune favors the brave. Um, and if it's you know if 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 the editors don't like it, then then we could always go back to to, to what had originally been planned in terms of that relationship. But I was very very lucky in that they they loved it. Um, they, they loved that change in it. And as I said, it wasn't it wasn't a massive uh, a massive amount of rewriting to to 
to, to layer in this different change in, in the relationship between the killer and the victim in, in the bingo hall detectives. Um, and, and I felt, you know, I felt better for doing it, actually. I felt, I felt, I, I felt really, really good doing it, having gone down that route, because I, I let the idea breathe. I, I, I explored it to its fullest conclusion. I'm not precious. I'm not a precious writer at all. I, you know, I, I understand that these things have to be edited. I understand that, you know, it's as much about a collaboration with your publisher as it is anything else. I'm in no way, shape or form precious about, you know, the, the it's my creative art and that's the way that it has to be full stop. Um, so I, I, I'm always open to always open to ideas to, to, to make it to make the, the make the story better, make the characters better, all, all the rest of it. And it's good fun as well. It's, it's, it's good fun because suddenly, you know, what what might have been something that you uh, that, that you thought was very much set in stone for a character or a setting or whatever, you know, suddenly it goes in a completely different direction if you if you let it. Um, and and you think right okay well how, how's this how's this gonna end I should probably come up with something shouldn't I so it's good fun keep keep showing your toes I'm a big big cozy fan always have been a big cozy fan um, I, I, I'm I'm a great believer of a uh, fiction of of uh, novels for any fiction actually uh, being a great escape um, you know ha- have, having the opportunity to be able to dive into a, a, any sort of novel of any genre um, and be completely taken away by the author to whatever that world is whether it's science fiction fantasy crime romance doesn't matter um, I'm, a, I'm a great believer of it and it's something that I've always uh, you know I, I strive for as a writer is to be able to give that give a give a reader that um, that same sensation that I that I love so much and I think with something I mean crime is such an amorphous um genre and such a massively successful genre uh, i think the, the the cozy element of it has always been very very appealing to me because i think it feels like pure escapism you know um, and it's this is absolutely in no way shape or form any sort of decrying of, of of police procedurals or psychological thrillers but you know they are very very much rooted in real life you know they are rooted in 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 the way things work in real life and there is that hard science and there's hard fact and you know that th- there are procedures that you've got to follow. Now, it's not to say that, you, that these things don't have to be adhered to in, in cozy crime. It's not, you know, it's it's not a it's not a byword. It's not a byphrase for for um for for just being able to do whatever the hell you want. Um, but I think with cozy crime, because the nature of it, the, the, the way I always describe cozy crime is that it's it's a crime novel that you never see the knife go in. And I think by not, you know. By, by a reader and a writer inherently by sitting down and knowing that that's the case, I think that there is a comfort to that. I think I think a lot of readers find it comforting. I know I certainly find cozy crime comforting in that sense, in that you know you know that there's a there's a sort of glass ceiling of the level of violence and 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 you know graphic detail that you're going to get or you're not going to get more importantly, and it means that the focus tends to be more on say character. It might be on more on the setting. It might be more on you know all the all the different elements that that, that sort of feed into into other crime novels. But there's a there's a greater sort of emphasis on it rather than the than the the, the the sort of graphic nature um and and i find that really really comforting and i always have found it comforting actually and it's not just it's not just a cozy crime fiction it's it's um you know tvs as well the tv shows uh, movies um yeah i i i i think that the sort of two three years that everybody's had um i think we're, we're, we're all in need of, of something that's a little bit more comforting something that's 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 
total escapism. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why why cozy crime has had such a resurgence in the in the last sort of three, four, five years. It's exactly that. It's a it's total escapism. It's it's a it's a chance to to, to park reality uh, at the door um, and just lose yourself in a in a in what might still be a grisly murder, but it's just not described in a grisly way. And um, and lastly. Now, I, I don't know anything about this book. I've just, in research, there's one out next year for you, which is The Village Hall Vendetta. And I think the the, the, the tagline online, which they're selling it, is it's something like, can you solve the puzzle of the year or something like this. Now, we were talking about the genre of cosy crime, but the genre, the genre of more involved puzzles in crime is also quite popular at the moment with authors like, Janice Hallett, where you're kind of given all of this thing and you're, uh, how much are you aware of these genres that you're writing in and the, the, the surge of popularity is, is there a reason, is that why you're doing it or is it more like it's up in the air and it just so happens that's what you're inspired by at the same time as maybe it's popular as well? I think there's probably a, a, an element of both there. I think, um, you know, we were chatting earlier on about it being a professional industry and things, and you know, like any other industry, trends are are, are invariably followed. Um, and and I think I think there's an element of osmosis there for writers too. I think you know, all, all, all writers that I know are intensive readers, myself included. And you know, um, it's it's both the curse and the blessing to be able to sit down and read another writer, particularly in your genre. Get to the end of the book and think, oh gosh, do you know what? I wish I'd written that. I'm, I'm, I'm thoroughly jealous that I wasn't able to write something like that. And then you, know, you invariably go off and try and write something that's equally good and, and, and uh, to varying degrees of success. I think, um, I think with the puzzle element of it, I think uh, I, I've always been a great believer that, you know, tell the story first. If, unless you have a, unless you have a, you, you always need to have a, a great story and that doesn't really matter doesn't matter if it's cozy crime police procedural psychological thriller sci-fi fantasy whatever i think at the core of the the novel it's got to be a great story and you know then your great characters come along and you know the setting and the you know in case of the case of crime you know the the, the actual investigation and stuff like that all of that stuff tends or it should should tend to fall into place um and if you've got that good story, you know, at, at, at the core of the project that you're working at, as long as it's a good story that you want to tell, whether that's it, it you know, whether it ends up being executed as a as a as a puzzle, as a mystery, as a cozy crime, that type of thing, um, you know, that that sort of stuff will come, or it should fall into place naturally. I'm a great believer. At the core of it, it's still got to be a good story. You still want this to spin a good yarn, tell a good tell a good tale as an author. Um, and and from then on in, it should kind of take care of itself. Ha ha, he says. Um, ask me again in 24 hours time when I'm sitting down to, to work and I'm pulling my hair out thinking, oh God, I'm terrible at this. That's it, I'm going to retire. Um, but yeah, it's it, it, sh- it should be, yeah, I, I'm a great believer that you've got to have that good story and then whatever format that you choose to, to tell it in, um, that should come naturally, and, and and sometimes look look don't get me wrong. Sometimes it takes a nudge from an editor to say, actually, do you know what? This would work a little bit better if it was more stressed on the murder than the puzzle, or or, or vice versa. Um, but you know, it, it, writing is a collaborative uh, project. Professional writing is a collaborative project, and 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 it's as we've discussed already. It's 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 always exciting to see where where other people might want to take the take the particular story or the characters that you've come up with. Um, but yeah, it's it's it, 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 
organic is a is, is a phrase that I tend to throw around with my writing as often as I can. Um, if for nothing else, I'm just looking for praise to be able to use a, a 21st century term like that. Um, but it's uh, I, I try to try try and keep it as organic as possible. And if, if the story if the story has to be told in in a in, in a in a much more puzzling way, then I'm always I'm always up for that, or or vice versa, or, or whatever. Really, it's uh, I'm a shill. I'm just I'm just a shill, Dan. That's that that's it. There we go. It's taken us an hour, but I got there in the end. I'm a shill. <laughs> And that's it for this week with Jonathan Whitelaw on the show. Thank you so much to Jonathan for sparing the time out of his one hour of frantic work a day uh, over in Canada. That new book is The Bingo Hall Detectives. It is out right now and he's got another book, a more puzzle book, a book that's uh, very Janice Hallett, if you've read any of those, that's coming out next year. We're kind of in the middle of two release cycles for Jonathan Uh, Look him up online, grab a copy of The Bingo Hall Detectives. Uh, While you are online, make sure you get to MarthaJocelyn.com, M-A-R-T-H-E-J-O-C-E-L-Y-N.com. Thank you so much to Martha for sponsoring the show. Uh, You can listen back to her full episode just in case you missed it from a couple of months ago at the start of October. Find out all about the way Martha works and the brand new book in the Aggie Morton Mystery Queen series, The Seaside Corpse. Perfect for any young reader this Christmas. Stay away from the uh, celebrity children's books that are bashed out quite quickly and uh, give some attention, engage your kids with uh, fantastic magical adventures from authors uh, whose job this is, who have taken so much time, who are using, uh, who are writing because this is their job, uh, not because it's just another way to get their brand out there. Uh, it's probably the last I'll stay on that because I'm sure I'll have a celebrity author on the show soon too. Uh, thank you so much for listening. You can support the show, patreon.com forward slash writers routine. You can get in touch, writersroutine.com and give us a follow on Twitter. We are at writerspod there. And I will see you next week. Until then, bye. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out for a chance to win the French Open title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV, live in HD. Don't miss a moment with daily live coverage and match replays on demand, beginning Monday, May 20th. Be there for all the unforgettable moments. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.